Today for the cold open, we wanted to give you the sweet sounds of Gary Neese calling the game-winning shot by Jalen Attaway against SUNY Amherst on Saturday. This is courtesy of WPIG in Olean. And here we go. Attaway will inbound, and he will get it in quickly to Linton Brown. Brown gives it back to Jalen. He goes to Jaron Holmes. Still double-teaming. Jaron gets the ball over the timeline. He'll pull it back out. Bonnie's playing for the last shot. Tied at 65. Holmes holds. And still going, and now they go. Holmes gets the screen out front. Still has the ball. Gets it back to Attaway. Jalen for three. It's good! It's good! No timeouts left. Williams just a shot away. No good! Bonnie's win! Wow. Jalen Attaway. Wow. And they're being mobbed over the team, being mobbed over at the corner. Well, he deserves a what a shot. Uh, the bodies, that's the shot the bodies designed. Jaron Holmes getting the ball to Jalen Attaway. He made no hesitation, fired that ball. Nothing but net. Bodies win it 68-65. Welcome everybody to episode 36 of SB Unfurled and friends, Lilbon X here with SB Unfurled. Hope y'all are smoking that SUNY Amherst pack like we were on Saturday night. What'd you think of that thrilling finish? I wish this was episode 33, baby. That was unbelievable. <laughs> um, there, there's so much we can get into about this game, but I just thought it was a like a great team performance. Great to see the guys step up that we needed to step up. Brown in the first half was really good. Adams had some big plays when we needed them. I thought Koulibaly did a good job down low. Um, really prevented uh, SUNY Amherst North Campus from getting <laughs> into their up-tempo style, I thought, quite a bit. They did have some good transition uh, plays. Jonathan Williams played really well, but Mbala, who killed us two years ago, just was a complete non-factor. Two points. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, just so great job down low on him. Um, you know, the, the shooting was again, streaky, but, but SUNY Amherst also pretty, pretty bad from three in the beginning. We were giving up some, some open looks, but man, I didn't know what this would look like without Lofton out there because, you know, you got to go back three, four years to even remember what this team looks like without him on the court. But got to give uh, Jaron Holmes a ton of credit. Eight assists, one turnover, totally. ran the offense um, out of his role. Uh, you know, he's that he's that shooting guard that likes to curl off and uh, use screens, catch the ball when he has momentum to drive to the hoop. He can't do that when he's at point. Um not a great shooting night, but he did what we needed him to do. And just, I was really impressed with him and Attaway. Yeah, I was definitely. And if we go back to when he talked to us in the off season, he, what was one of the things he mentioned? It was that he was really learning how to play point guard and his yeah. performance on Saturday didn't really surprise me because we saw it throughout the regular season before Saturday, because Lofton has been getting a lot more shots off the ball. They've been running more plays, more sets where Holmes was up top. So Holmes has been playing point guard for quite a bit this season already. So now he's taken full control of it. And I think all that work at the end of the game, he was crying. And then he was like really fired up and emotional in that one uh, post game video in the locker room with yeah. Schmidt and everybody. Yeah. You can tell like he was very thrilled with how all the work came to fruition because oh, yeah. that was the first game. He was really relied on as the leader because, of course, all five are, are captains. 
but he's running point. So mm-hmm. he's the leader on the court there physically and trying to, you know, facilitate. He had a horrible shooting night, three of 17, but eight assists. That's exactly what he needed to do. I was, yeah. I was just so, so amped for him. And oh, I thought ocean played very well too. Uh, he looks like he was back to full strength because there is even ri- yeah. really since Marquette. And then b- before that, obviously with the injury, just not himself, not moving very well. He didn't look as mobile as we were used to, but he looked back to being the Oshun that we know. And um, any speculation that him and Koulibaly will ever play on the floor together at the same time was pretty much put to rest. I thought if there was <laughs> any game we could do it with, um, Mbala and their other big man, I, I thought this could maybe be Dave that Skogan. matchup. Yeah, but, you know, Koulibaly's Kula, clearly just a pure five in Schmidt's, um, in Schmidt's rotation. And they, Oshun, 26 minutes, got yanked a couple times for foul issues. But, you know, I, I love that split when it's 30 to 10 or 25, 15, as long as Koulibaly's doing what he needs to do, keep Oshun fresh out there. I thought Schmidt's substitutions were really good. Um, getting Oshun a break around the under 12 minute mark. So he's only missing two minutes of game time, but he's getting like a eight minute rest or something like that. Um, right. So, so that was really good to see. I loved how he used them there. And then Adams and Brown with the clean 2020 minute um, timeshare at the two, both of those guys played really well. So um, really no, <laughs> No negative points other than, you know, Welch cold in the first half, but I love that he comes back out and keeps shooting and, you know, trusts himself and Schmidt trusts him as well. Um, I, I really can't think of a, a down spot for that game. Yeah, I will say that the the end of game closing out situation was a little dicey because oh, yeah. it really shouldn't have been coming down to a buzzer beater. Mm-hmm. It was what? It was like an eight-point lead or something, yeah. and then – SUNY Amherst hit those three threes and we only scored two free throws in, in between them. So yeah. that really made it, that, t- that tied it up. So mm-hmm. it, if just one of those threes misses or there was one instance when there was a turnover in the backcourt right after the inbounds. Yeah. Like if, if, you, if that three pointer, one three pointer misses, that's a five to eight point game and it looks a little bit better. Yeah. So I would say that between Press breaking and always, you know, closing out on the corner three shooters. Those are two things that mm-hmm. are still works in progress. Yeah, and we play that like pack line Virginia style defense. So those corner threes, uh, we're going to see a lot of guys rushing out to the corner to close out. I thought we did a decent job for the most part. Like Adaway so athletic that he can close out and then jump really quickly to kind of get a hand in the guy's face. Um, yeah, I, I shouldn't say there wasn't anything that was a low point for me. I, I meant more talking about each player's overall performance. Like I thought yeah. each player played well overall. Um, and yeah, like those guys going into the under eight timeout looked completely gassed. Holmes, Holmes especially looked really, really tired going into that under eight when they had cut it to like six, I think. And that's when I was really worried because we were up pretty big. I think it got up to 13 or so. And then you could kind of see SUNY Amherst, North Campus, chip away, chip away, cut it to six. Holmes looked <laughs> gas. There's still a lot of time left, like seven and a half minutes. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, this is – we're going to collapse and these guys aren't going to have the legs under them that they need. But, um, man, I, I think if Attaway misses that shot, it's not looking good for us in overtime. Yeah, I mean, that's – you're right because we don't have the depth to keep those guys – off the court for any significant time. Welch and Holmes both didn't sit one second. Yep. And they, they were needed, especially Holmes, because, you know, he was running the point, because who else would be running point? I don't know. Maybe Linton Brown. Like I don't I don't even want to explore that opportunity the um that possibility. But speaking of Linton, speaking of downtown, yeah. How do you think him and Quadri did? Because I really think Linton provided that spark off the bench to shoot. I think he was probably a little upset he didn't start. He probably he probably wanted to start over Quadri, but um, Quadri also held his own. He had yeah. two really good uh, breakaways, and, and he, he really did a good job. Yeah, I think um, Linton really provided a, a big lift in the first half. I thought, and that was great to see. Ad, they're such different players. Like Adams is just a pure 
um, wing defender, really active feet, active hands out on the perimeter. I, I feel like he can guard pretty much anyone in the A-10, which is great. Linton Brown, oh, Adam's not too much of a an outside threat, I don't think. He really likes to get in transition, get his buckets at the rim. Brown, pretty much the opposite. I'm um, not going to really rely on him to shut down anyone's best player. But on offense, look like he needed to see one go in and really um, – start to feel comfortable out there because when he's just playing those spot minutes, it's really tough for shooters to get into a rhythm, get into the flow of a game, get that confidence. You kind of feel like out of place. So he's one of those guys. I feel like he's going to be better the longer he's in. Um, and that was really good to see. Not just a couple of three pointers. He got fouled on a three. He had a really nice take to the basket. His defense was pretty good um, from what I remember. So as far as them, they're very, very different, but Schmidt's using them in the right situations with the right matchups. Uh, yeah. as, as long as Lofton's out, I really like that that 2020 split or so, depending on the matchup. That would be good, yeah, especially yeah when Lofton's gone. I think I also yeah. want to see a little more offense out of uh, Quadri. I, I don't know if it's accurate as, as I, I make it out to be, but I think he is taking that Taki role right now on the in the roster. Mm-hmm. And I think... I'd like to see him be a little bit more of a dynamic score because he was able to, you know, get to the hole a little bit. And I think, I think there's a lane for him to, to do that even when Lofton comes back. Yeah. And I think there were a couple possessions where he did bring it down the floor at he, maybe it was only one where he played the point and then they put Holmes off the ball because Holmes really, when he's at the points, much more difficult to, uh, to get the shot you want. But they had Holmes coming off of a, a nice curl. He got the ball with a full head of steam, took it to the hoop. I think he might have got fouled. Um, I don't think they're going to ever rely on Adams long-term to play the point, but uh, it's good to see him just be able, in those little instances, if we need to get Holmes going, be able to bring the ball up the floor. Um, they they did look a little rattled at the end of the game. Um, UB's probably – SUNY Amherst North Campus yep, probably yep. – kicking themselves for not pressing more maybe um i don't know because our press break looked pretty bad at the end but yeah uh yeah adams uh, not gonna be relied on to be a a long-term point guard but he can come out and bring the ball up a a few possessions if the team the the opponents are kind of backed off a bit okay i think you had something else that you want to say we gotta we gotta talk about these We have to talk about the SUNY Amherst North Campus fans. Yes, please. I mean, it's, oh, it, I just kind I kind of forgot because it's been two years since I've seen these people. It's one thing seeing like the nonsensical shit that they put online, but you really get a whole different perspective on these, these creatures when you see them in person. Yeah, like out of their element at a place like a college basketball game, you know. Um, I, we, we shouldn't even call them Cretans. Like I want to call them like jellyfish or something, but they're so artificial that it's difficult to even compare them to any like actual biological organism. There I mean, were more are... fish. There were more fish sucking all the scrapings off of uh, <laughs> off of the, what we drop as, as the big fish in the pond. Seriously, I mean, the it's, ocean, I guess. <laughs> people, yeah, if you're not there and you're not like looking for it, I mean, these are just spineless zombie pods. The ones sitting in <laughs> sitting in front of me, there's like a group of five or six, all of them during the game, not during timeouts, during the game, watching college football streams on their phones throughout the entire game like the oklahoma state which i'm sure was a good game right oklahoma state and baylor and the big 12 whatever probably a good game but these these people like watching football on their phone during the game just these grinch like bodies and these (laughs) generic blue shirts slouched in the red seats like fried eggs and chairs um, and they're not even like, these aren't college students either. These are adults. These are like 50 year olds acting like they're eight as if they had just read like a, how to be a college basketball fan for dummies guide before waddling <laughs> into the RC in this like narcoleptic state. Um, adults in diapers, just <laughs> toddling along, holding phone. I feel like fingers. we might have some of those in the reds. We might have one guy is holding diapers. a, he's like an adult man holding a foam finger. And they <laughs> really? cheer, they yeah, it's like they read this guide of how to be a kid. And they're like, this is what we have to do. To, 
only cheer they only the only time they cheered the entire game really what other than like maybe the first minute was when they cut it to three and then tied it like the, oh wow and then they tried like getting in our face and like one guy was trying to like record us and it i mean <laughs> these people are truly truly spineless pathetic zombie pods and that's that is the culture of suny amherst north campus sports i'm sorry it's just not your thing i'm sure they i'm sure they have fine like medical research facilities or whatever all the <laughs> all the things you, you gotta you know say with it just admit it sports isn't your thing guys cut tr- stop trying to be a fan uh stop coming to the riley center which we made sure out quite a few of them will never never be back here um <laughs> yeah I, it other than that they were great yeah, yeah. oh that but, it was nice to have them there right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like 40 one guy got kicked out one guy down um section awesome. like section four he got he got the boot which really? i never you I never tweet about it yeah, you never see that in the Riley Center, really, unless it's like a drunk college uh, student being really bad or, or like throwing something on the court. This, yeah, uh, SUNY Amherst North Campus fan got the boot. Um, that was good. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. I think I've covered it all. I think you have. But it's funny that you mentioned that they're watching football when they're not even good at football either. They're not good at anything. <laughs> I know. It's true. Are they in a bowl this year? I, I, don't I don't even know. I don't think so. Who cares? Uh, there's like every team's in a bowl. Yeah, I know. There's like 80 bowls or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we are going to talk about like – so our our defensive effort obviously was much, much better. Um, yeah. And you now you look back at how we played those first, what, five games and then how we played this game. In the Northern Iowa game and the Coppin State game throughout the season are going to look more and more like outliers, I think. Um, and a couple people I've talked to have said that there is a flu bug going around campus. And normally I won't bring this up because it sounds like excuse making. But the fact that Linton Brown was out with a non-COVID illness and then Quadri Adams was out with a non-COVID illness, like you feel – you do get the sense that this team was probably hit by a flu bug or something because we're giving up 47 points, 60. Yeah. Teams are struggling to get 60 points against us. And then Northern Iowa and Coppin State scored 90 and 81. Coppin State scoring 81 against us and Northern Iowa scoring 90. It looks more and more like outliers. And I, I'm really, really not trying to make excuses, but like with Brown and Adams being out, like I said, I, I do, it's starting to look like there was a flu bug going around and that really would explain just the lackadaisical effort that was put in those two games. Yeah, I think so because they were just kind of pushing all their tempo on offense. And then when they got back, when Northern Iowa and Coppin State sped us up, they weren't able to close out on shooters as, as efficiently. So it's, we don't know for sure, but that's a, I think that's a pretty good working theory. Yeah. And then, of course, we also have to get into the most famous ankle in Bona history. Yeah. Um, Don't read all the doctors on the bandwagon because, (laughs) you know, you get the, I had a high ankle sprain back in 1972 playing intramural football, and it was a year before I was back on the field. So maybe Lofton will come back next year. Like, don't listen to them. Don't listen to people on Twitter. There's now mixed reports. You hear it's a high ankle and he's going to be out a month. Then there's that weird day-to-day report that came out, which seems like Belichick-esque gamesmanship yeah. from Schmidt. Because I remember like when Adams messed his ankle up against Alfred, he was day-to-day for like three weeks. Um, Lofton's limping around in a boot. He's not. I don't think he's day-to-day. Um, maybe probably get him back by conference play. We'll see. But um not he's not day to day that's i think that's gamesmanship yeah i think so too it seems like it's going to be a few weeks i think as yeah. long as we split with yukon and virginia tech which is possible with homes at point and then we just take care of business against loyola and north uh, northeastern i think we'll still be in a good mm-hmm. spot if we get into uh, a10 play at 10 and 2 and then oh, we'll yeah. have then we'll start talking about you know the same teams that we normally play and, and starting off with GW and Dayton and those yep. well GW should be you know we should kill them as usual and then Dayton could be tricky because we have no idea what to expect from them. But getting back to Lofton, I mean, 
I think it gets back to what we say about the the bench and lack there of using it because we needed to use everybody for 40 minutes because we didn't close out against Coppin State. That can't keep happening when it comes to these these worst teams because it also affects us in the net ranking, which did come out on Monday. And we're in the 80s. I think it was, what was it, 83? 88. 88, ugh. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's because we should have beaten Coppin State by about 30, but we ended up beating them by nine. Yeah, it was nine. Yeah, and same thing with Canisius. And then also SUNY Amherst was supposed to be a little bit of a more comfortable win. So yeah. these underperforming wins are hurting us, and we haven't had a road win, and that's going to affect us. And I know it's too early to even be talking about net, but it's yeah. it's something to keep in mind when we keep having all these games that – should be walk away wins where we should be winning by 30 points, maybe 40 points if we're really hot one night and said, mm-hmm. we're in the single digits and it's, it's not good. If I asked you, cause they changed the formula of the net. If I asked you, do you think they changed the formula to favor the P five or do you think they changed the formula to favor the non P five? What would you say? What do you think? Of course it's the P5. Yeah, of P6, course it, yeah. it It makes no sense on its face that we would come in at 88, like we're 7-1, and one, right? Um, I think our net was like fifth best in the conference. Yeah. Um, but then when you consider that all these things are always skewed toward the P5, it starts to make a little more sense. The net rewards losing to losing to really good teams more than it rewards beating just average to good teams. Yeah. So you see, like I was looking at it and ev- it just didn't make sense. Like wake forest is 57 spots higher than us. Almost exclusively, really? exclusively <laughs> because they lost to number two LSU. Otherwise our rem- our resumes are very similar. Why is um, LSU even number two to begin with? You're right. Uh, <laughs> another one I, is Washington state. Is six and two, their best win net according to the net is against number one fifty six Winthrop. That's their best win. Wow! But because they lost to number seven USC, they're twenty one spots ahead of us. It's, it's so skewed toward the P five now, and you're seeing this. They're just elbowing us little by little, more and more every year, elbowing us off the table, elbowing the little guys off the table to P five. This is. It's insane. Yes, it's very volatile right now, and it will change as the season goes on. But these things are, you just, I am not putting any stake into the net. And like last year, Colgate was a top, obviously not a P5, but <laughs> well, with the weird season, they were top 10 all year in the, in the net. It's like, I was uh, going to say the, the new Colgate this year, Wagner, they're number 23. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so VCU has like a Q1 that didn't VCU Q1A a Q1 a Q1A loss. Yeah. <laughs> they have a top 25 loss at home. Yeah. So it's saying like But Wagner had a COVID pause. But one of the very few COVID pauses that it oh, actually really? happened. Yeah. So Wagner one. Wagner got the dreaded basketball on the baseline this year. No. I know they did. <laughs> oh my god. Um it so they're basically saying it doesn't matter if you win or lose. If you're playing like Number two, LSU, which I don't know why they're number two. You're going to be rewarded phenomenally. And teams like us, 88th, like that's that doesn't yeah. make any it well, doesn't make any sense. It'll even itself out. We don't yeah. need to worry about it too much. No, as long as we win, I think once we if we can beat UConn, there's you know they're number thirteen in that. So that'll that'll really give us a huge boost on a net- mm-hmm. neutral site and. I think it, it usually evens out. It's yeah. it's hard to look at these analytics uh, so closely in the non-conference because of the small sample size. There's nothing really that I – a big pet peeve of mine, I should say, in college basketball is people looking at bracket, like bracketology and talking about at-large bids this early in the season. Wait till Groundhog Day – Groundhog Day, you can start talking about bracketology and all this stuff, and then this stuff starts to even out a little bit. I think Ken Palm says, like, after 12 or 13 games, the preseason rankings are fully out of the picture, and you can really start to see 
um, a little bit more accuracy. But this early yeah. in the season, it's pointless to sweat that stuff. Just beat UConn and uh, Loyola, and it will will be in great shape. All right, we're joined once again by another friend of ours, Joe Enoch. He is the alumni chapter president of New York City, and he is getting heavily involved in having us down in Newark, which is right next to New York City, of course. So, Joe, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, This is like our big game. Years past, we'd be like partying for the A-10s. I think last time I came on here, we were talking about, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the pregame party for the very very sad a10 tournament in brooklyn um yep. you know happen. we were I, I remember us talking and being like trying to pretend that like maybe covid wasn't going to be an issue when like in the back of our minds we all knew we were screwed but um yeah so i'm happy to be on here with um you know better times and certainly for the school and for the, the basketball team and um and for what we've got planned coming up this weekend yeah so what's going on for people so we do have a pregame spot right across from the arena. If you're going to the game, um, especially if you're taking the train, it's right there. It's called Red's Beer Garden. Um, it's literally right across the street from the arena. You can't miss it. I'll get there early. Uh, doors open at 11. Um, that's a long time to booze before the game. But, you know, I understand oh, if you got to like... I I mean, Danny Hurley's going to be there. He's going to be screaming and crying like a baby the whole time. So I expect fans to show up and and get looped up and get ready for that maniac to just spend the entire game trying to get the refs on his side. So uh, doors do open at 11. I'll be there um, bright and early to get things going. I hope to see uh, a bunch of fans there. Was this place named after the Ohio State player, Michael Redd? It was. I'm glad you asked that. It was Thank indeed. You. I am too. Um, <laughs> really? Um, yeah. No. Actually, I, I called no, the bar. I, I'm just messing. Yeah. With these, though. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I did look me. at pictures of this place. It looks huge. It looks really nice. Big bar space. A lot of lot of space for Bona fans to get ready. Big TVs and stuff. Looks That's good. what the guy told me when I called it. I, I looked it up online. Same thing. Pictures look big. He says it's huge. They've got an outdoor beer garden. They've got space for. Um, you know, hundreds of fans. He also told me that one of his bartenders is a Bonagrad and his bartender, even before I called to like set this up was like, dude, we got to have all, we got to have all hands on deck. Like Bona fans are going to show up. <laughs> They're going to be yeah. thirsty. They're going to be ready to party. So um, that's a spot you get off the train. It's right there again, right across the street from the arena. It's going to be a party. Nice. That beer, we had that beer garden in Charleston, which we didn't go to. That was like the more of the corporate area. But I, I, I did hear like one of there was a bon, maybe it wasn't at the beer garden, but there was a Bona fan. Like the Bona fans are passed out all over Charleston, but one of them was passed out like <laughs> in a garden or in the shrubbery. And the owner came out and was like yelling at him. He's I'm sick of all you homeless people. Get out of here. And my <laughs> own friend's going, no, no, no. He's, he's a Bona fan. No, and like picked him up and like helped him out. Cause he was so hammered and like passed out. But hopefully Jesus. we get, it's not going to be, maybe it will be like Charleston. Cause there are a lot of alums in that New York city area, but we really put on a show in Charleston. So, I feel like Red's Beer Garden is going to be very happy that they chose the Bonas to uh, to host because we certainly give these places a lot of business. I told the guy, I was like, get ready, like all hands on deck. You know, people are people are going to be ready to party. It's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then there's Hopefully also something going on in the arena, too. Right. Because I bought my ticket basically the day it dropped because I was absolutely excited for this. And. Along with the UConn women's game that's happening beforehand, you also get a pregame party in the arena, right? Do you have any details about that? Yeah, I mean, Lil Bonax, I did the same thing. I bought the ticket the day it came out. Um, maybe I, I might have, you know, overpaid a little bit, but um, yep, same. yeah, there is a pregame party inside the arena. That is not the Red Spear Garden. But if you did buy the pregame party inside the arena, um, I don't have all the details in front of me on that. But um, I think it starts at like 
one or two, there's a bar inside the arena that you can go. Um, I'll be there. I'll at least stop by. You know, I paid a lot of money, so I'll, I'll go in there and have a beer or two and say, you know, introduce myself to Joe Manhurts and whatever other, you know, big wigs are there. I'll be I'll be seeing you there, little Bona X. Yeah, man. I'm so pumped for it. Thank you for coming on and giving all the plugs for what's going on in Newark. Hopefully, if anybody's going down there, I'm sure most, quite a few people are going to be going down there. Hopefully, you really enjoy it because it's going to be a fun time. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. We would like to welcome our next guest into SB Unfurled and Friends, the first UConn fan guest on our podcast, Russell Steinberg. He is a writer and contributor for Boardroom.tv. He also used to be part of and a writer for A Dimeback, which is a UConn blog. By the way, if you don't know what that name means, can you? basically it's a good quote from Jim Calhoun back in the day when he wouldn't give a dime back when he was asked about his salary from the state of Connecticut. So Russell, thank you for joining us here. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's a, that's a great quote for him. Calhoun was such that's a great, one of the best. Uh, <laughs> and then when he said he fucked up, that was a great time too. <laughs> yeah. We, you, you can't name a blog. I fucked up though. No, no, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so we're getting into this matchup here. We've been excited for this for months since it got announced, I think at the end of August and I was really focusing on the Sonogo versus Oshuni matchup down low. Sonogo, for those Bonnie fans who aren't aware, haven't been watching much UConn, Adama Sonogo is their center normally, and he has been a very good offensive threat. He's probably the best big man in the Big East, but he has suffered an injury, and it's not official that he'll be missing, but it's not looking likely that he's going to be playing on Saturday. So, Russ, what are you thinking about with this matchup that you're looking forward to seeing between the Bonnies and and UConn? Yeah, so uh, first of all, real quick about Sonogo. It it sounds like the earliest he can be back, uh, realistically, is going to be that game after the one we're talking about here. So that'd be the Big East opener against Providence. So there's really no hope that we're going to see him on Saturday. But what what I'm looking forward to is still uh, the the front court battle, because even though Sonogo's out, uh, UConn does have the reigning defensive player of the year in the Big East and Isaiah Whaley. And that's going to be interesting watching him try to deal with uh, with Ashuna'i. Did I say his name right? Yep, you did. Yes. Okay, I nailed it. <laughs> um, I, if that, that's going to be interesting to me. I, Isaiah Whaley's a, a really good defender, not just on the in- interior, but really no matter where you put him, he can keep a guy in front of him. He could block a shot. He could rebound. Uh, so I, I'm interested in seeing that. Where losing Sonogo really hurts UConn is on the offensive end. Uh, you, you said it yourself. He he's such he he's kind of the, the default option when nothing else is working. You kind of just dump it down to Sonogo, and it, oh, to the point where it that hurt UConn in, in Atlantis, where they would get him the ball, and then everyone else would just kind of stop moving, and it, it forced Sonogo in some situations to take a bad shot. So. You know, losing him, you're losing a lot of offensive firepower. But, you know, UConn's got other ways that they can make up for that. Uh, so it, it, it'll be a good matchup. But I think, you know, both teams, I think, are going to be down a player, right? Yeah, of course, we're without Kyle yeah. Lofton. But I, you're also I, missing Tyrese I Martin. And we're yes. familiar with Tyrese because he played two seasons at Rhodey. Yeah, t- Tyrese Martin's a, a player who got off to a really good start for UConn this year. So it's disappointing that he's going to be out. He's someone who could kind of do, do a little bit of everything for you. Uh, He's not a great shooter, but he can hit a shot when when you need him to, he could get to the basket. He could make something happen. Uh, He he had really kind of found his rhythm right before injuring his wrist in in Atlantis. And and even after he suffered the injury, he still, uh, still got it done against VCU in that final game. So disappointing that they won't have him. Uh, look for more minutes from Jordan Hawkins and and Andre Jackson uh, t- to make up for it. And yeah, we mentioned we're missing our uh, star point guard. He was, um, 
I think he might be again first or second in the country in minutes. He started every game since his freshman year. It's been very strange. Um, it was very strange against uh, Buffalo, who he just played, seeing him not out there. We kind of had to force our shooting guard into the point guard role, which he did fine with. But I feel like if it's not Sonogo or even Martin this year, your other maybe your best player this year, correct me if I'm wrong, looks like RJ Cole, who plays the point. What can we expect to see out of him? I know he's six one, lefty, good shooter. Um, what what do you think the matchup at point uh, is going to look like with RJ Cole? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that he's the team's best player right now. I mean, I'm seriously, I'm just sitting here looking at his numbers, and they're even better than I realized. Um, 18 or more points in his last three games here. He's someone he very rarely comes off the court, you know, unless mm-hmm. it's a blowout. Um, he he can score. He's he's not the best shooter in the world, although I think his numbers from three this year are actually pretty good uh, when you can't find him. He's pretty good at getting to the line, which helps, especially considering he's a 90 something percent free throw shooter. Um, he's, he's the ball's going to be in his hands more than anyone else's. And when the ball is in his hands, you usually feel OK. Uh, that that's the be- I think that's the best thing I could say about him. He's, he's very steady. He makes good decisions. Uh, he could dish it. He could get to the basket. Uh, he's, he's the guy for UConn and especially seeing, you know, Jalen Gaffney, the guy who plays behind him, not quite progress so far the, the way that we thought that he would have. Um, it Cole, Cole has really been the guy this year. Mm -hmm. So what have you made overall of the season? Because UConn had, a really, really challenging time in the Bahamas. Three overtime game, well, three overtimes played in three games, a double overtime against Auburn and a single overtime against VCU, which quite a few of us watched. We were interested in as, as A-10 fans. But the rest of the schedule has been pretty weak. I mean, you guys throttled Coppin State and we did not, but you also struggled with Maryland Eastern Shore. So, I mean, what do you think of overall how the season's gone? Of course, we're recording this on Monday night. And on Wednesday, before the Bonnies and UConn play, you the UConn will be playing at West Virginia, which will be a tough game. So that could that would change the schedule things. But I guess going into this week, what do you make of how UConn's played with this overall schedule? Yeah, I mean, listen, they're eight and one. So realistically, I you can't ask for much more than that, especially considering they went down to Atlantis, won two out of three, beat a really really good Auburn team and beat a VCU team that was a really tough matchup to play when you're playing your yeah. third game in three days just because of how that, how much they get after you. For those who didn't watch, that was an absolute rock fight. That was yeah. that was not that was not for the offensively inclined. <laughs> yeah, if, if you didn't watch that game, don't. Like, don't, don't, go, <laughs> don't go back. It, it happened in UConn 1, and I'm glad that they won. Um, but, it, you know, they... I don't, I don't know what more you could really ask. Yeah, they did struggle against Maryland Eastern Shore, but I feel like, you know, you, you get one by game a year where things don't quite go the way you want. Just be happy that they won and they didn't uh, they didn't get upset. And And I'm happy yeah. with the way they responded in the next game against Grambling State, which is a team that's just as bad as them. And they won by 30. So, right. you, you know, that I, I'm happy about that. And. Now, keep in mind, that was also the first game without Martin and Sonogo, so they're probably trying to figure things out. Um, I, I'm happy with with how things have gone so far. It's given me confidence that this is, in fact, you know, an, an NCAA, not just an NCAA tournament team, but one with second weekend potential. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that, yeah. That was my thought when I watched them in Atlantis. When they were at full strength, I was like, this is yeah. a team that looks like they're they're ready to get to the second weekend. They look like an elite eight team. Um, I mean, maybe they also showed that they have a lot of room for improvement too, which I I mean, I guess that's kind of the best of both worlds, right? Cause you want, yeah, you want to get exposed at this time of year and you still want to win those games. And they did that two out of three times. Exactly. And for being two pretty solid Northeastern basketball schools, these two teams are not familiar with each other. I, I, Schmidt and Hurley are familiar with each other, but we haven't played Connecticut in uh, almost 20 years. So these these two programs, they don't really see each other much. What is, if you can maybe give us like consensus among the, you know, 
Yukon Husky, Husky Nation about what what do they because this is hopefully supposed to be maybe our our best team in almost fifty years. So when it's announced that Bonas is on the schedule, not really an opponent you're used to. You guys are in the Big East. I'm sure you always have pretty good games in your non league slate. What was like the consensus when you found out you're playing Bonas among Yukon uh, fans? Well, they know they know that that you guys are good, so there's going to be no overlooking of the opponent here. Uh, And UConn fans have long memories and they (laughs) remember the 18 point St. Bonaventure win uh, in 2001, 2002. 88 to 70. I got the score right here. I I was at that game. However, I was also at the game the next year when UConn beat him by 17. People don't remember that one, but (laughs) they, they will remember the, they do remember that loss. Um, as that was far, a scandal year for us, so we kind of blocked that out of our memory. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it didn't as, happen. The game never happened. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> so you know, UConn fans know that that Bono's a good team. Uh, they, I don't think they know what they're going to get in terms of the St. Bonaventure fan base. I think they are in <laughs> for a surprise mm-hmm. when uh, when they get to Newark. I mean this. Maybe you'll you'll agree with me. These are two absolutely deranged fan bases. <laughs> yes, that is very true. Love it. <laughs> at, and and at, I mean I, that in the best way possible. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I think there are a lot of similarities between UConn and Bonas because I think UConn fans are a little in, uh, insecure about stores uh-huh. because it's you know it's pretty far away from New York City. It's not in downtown Hartford, although they play some games there. And it's not very close to Boston, but it's, you know, it's considered basically like a farm out in the sticks. And that's what we get from a 10 fans. So I think that same basketball culture is there. It's just UConn is obviously a much bigger area because it's in a, you know, it's in a pretty densely populated state and it's a bigger school, quite frankly. So I think there are similarities there. Yeah. The, the joke about stores is, uh, they used to call it store, and then one day they built a second one, and that's. Uh, I think that's <laughs> I've never a pretty, heard, I've heard that one. <laughs> that, yeah, l- listen, stores is it's a college town, you know. It's it's UConn and and nothing else really, but yeah. you know you're not not too far from Hartford. The they'll sell it to you by saying you're right between uh Boston and New York. They just don't tell you that you know it takes a few hours to get to both. It's like us between Buffalo and Pittsburgh. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, I have actually really quick. I have a good story about that. I yes. was talking to, uh, I was talking to Howie Dickenman a, a long time ago. He was an assistant coach at UConn, and he would tell stories about uh, picking up recruits in Hartford and driving them back to campus, and breaking every traffic law there was to try to make it seem like the trip from Hartford to stores was a lot shorter <laughs> than it actually is. Oh my god! I think it's like well, it's like probably like a half hour. Probably that's not even that bad. It's an hour it, and a half. It's from not. Bo- yeah, it's an, hour, it's an hour and a half from Buffalo to Bonaventure, and that's without snow. <laughs> all right, so UConn's not quite as isolated. No, not at all. <laughs> but I think it's still the same reputation because if you look at the Big East, you know, back in the day with all the schools in New York City and D.C. and Syracuse also being a national power, I think there's a little bit of an inferiority about, oh, no, we play in the in the back roads of Connecticut when I, I think – I think players value being in that kind of environment, whether it's at UConn or whether it's at Bonaventure of having you be the main show on campus, because sorry to admit it, but UConn football, they've been pretty terrible the last decade. It's not the best. It's not the best. It's not, it's, it's not even the second worst. It's the worst. Um, (laughs) And they beat Yale this year. (laughs) Listen, it, it, it depends on which, uh, which ranking system you look at, whether or not they were the worst. (laughs) Uh, but they're in that conversation, but no, listen, Connecticut doesn't have any professional sports teams, at least not in the big four, uh, major sports. Uh, they do have the Connecticut sun and the sun do a great job and they draw really well, but that's, you know, the WNBA doesn't play during the school year. So in in the winter and in this spring, it's, it's UConn and you know, the, the men's and women's programs have done very well by being the kind of default professional sports team in the state. And I, I think athletes can, 
can kind of get get the best of both worlds there, right? They're they're the the biggest show in town during the during the season, and then you know they could kind of they play half their games in in Hartford too, and they get to you know I'll tell you they get to go out and enjoy that probably when they shouldn't. You know, <laughs> so I've heard no incriminating, no incriminating statements on this pod. I'm not mentioning <laughs> names. <laughs> we need the whalers back. We do. I was going to say that. I was like, bring back the whale. You guys need them back. Connecticut doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I would be good to watch a professional hockey team as a Sabres fan. <laughs> uh, any, um, how are you liking Dan Hurley over there? Oh, I love him. Yeah, he's really. Listen, he seems like it, one one of those guys. If he's if he's your coach, you love him. But otherwise, you just can't. Because oh, we you just, we reviled said, him. We reviled him at Rhode Island in 2018. Yeah. Rhode Island was ranked, and we were like trying to get ranked. Mm-hmm. And th- there were two really tough games between the two teams, and we just absolutely hated Hurley. Mm-hmm. Huge because oh, you, you said exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, it, back in 18, Bonas and Rhode Island were easily the best two teams in the conference. And they came to the Riley Center February 16th. is my 30th birthday. Um, nice. Dan Hurley, because we were building a resume to get to the NCAA tournament. They were pretty much a lock to get into the tournament. Rhode they Island were ranked was. 16th. And yeah, during warmups, Dan Hurley snuck an NIT ball onto our ball ring. <laughs> that's and true. That's true. Infuriated. <laughs> Our team specifically. Okay, that's really good, though. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it, it is. That's it objectively is. a good burn. That's it objectively is good. a good burn. It's a great, and I can't even be mad at it because it is good. But we ended up beating them in like the last seconds. It was a phenomenal game, and maybe my like favorite ESPN two favorite Bonnie of all time, Courtney Stocker, took the ball after the game, ran into their locker room, and threw the ball back in. I can't think what he said. I probably oh, that's awesome. Threw the ball back in, and like it. Just those are those are the rivalry rivalries we really want. So Schmidt versus Hurley will be watching that. Hey, I love Schmidt too. He's, he's, <laughs> oh, he, he's yeah. you, can you can't dislike him. I feel like <laughs> the, no. he's yeah. very different from Dan Hurley. I understand why people might not like him if if <laughs> if you don't root for his team. Uh, but listen, you can't argue with the job he's done turning this program around, getting them back to the NCAA tournament last year, and it seems like having an even better team this year. Uh, starting to bring you know high level recruits back onto campus. It started with James Booknight, and now they have uh, this year they had I think it was a top ten recruiting class, and they've got some big time commits next year. So mm-hmm. you know I, you don't you don't argue with the success, but he he is a crazy person. Speaking of that 2018 team, there was one other connection that uh, exists between Bonaventure and UConn. Brendan Adams played for UConn up until. Oh, yeah the end of this past season because then he transferred to George Washington. So we'll be seeing yep. him in conference. So that's Brendan Adams, Jalen Adams brother. Um, what do you think of just overall that kind of, just that kind of family tie that we have there? Oh, th- this Brendan Adams has no relation to Jalen Adams or where wait, wait, to your Jalen Adams. Mm-hmm. I thought he did. Yeah, because they oh, sorry. UConn had Jalen Adams. Adams too. I was did thinking it? of our Jalen Adams. Yeah. UConn oh yeah. They, oh Adams. my god, right. that's right. There was a Jalen Adams that played for UConn. That's didn't right. He hit a, didn't he hit like a half court buzzer beater in the, the East tournament against oh, my, uh, Cincinnati in the? Oh my god! Tournament. I remember. I was at, I was in my yeah. hotel room in Brooklyn before our A ten champ or A ten yep. tournament. Yeah, and I saw that. That was the day I, we lost to Davidson in the tournament. Yeah, I I was on press row in in Brooklyn. Oh my the god! That's tournament awesome. streaming it, nice. and uh, the the second game of that afternoon doubleheader ended, and the overtimes just kind of kept piling up, and <laughs> it was just it was me and Joe Lenardi watching on my laptop <laughs> as that happened. It was it was amazing. Another friend of the pod, yeah, that was against Cincinnati, right? Yep, it was yep. Cincinnati. Multiple overtimes, and then did you guys go on to win the whole? thing that year or was it am i thinking of a different year no that was 2014 yeah that was 2014 we did go on to win the aac tournament that year yeah yeah that's by the way I mean. how happy to be out of that tire fire oh conference my god so happy. <laughs> <laughs> like, i feel like you'd rather be in the a10 than the aac <laughs> i mean if it if it weren't for money yes yeah well for well, basketball definitely <laughs> It, I mean, you'd rather travel to Olean than to go travel to uh, Greenville, North Carolina, or Tulane. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like the the thing the thing I hated about the AAC more than anything 
And it wasn't even necessarily that it was just a huge step down in competition compared to the old Big East, but it was that the the programs just didn't care about basketball. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like even like Tulsa had some good teams while UConn was in that conference, but they weren't getting if Tulsa fans aren't getting excited about Tulsa basketball, how, how do you expect? UConn fans to get excited about that. Don't even yeah. get us started about Tulsa basketball because they stole our bid in 2016. Oh, that they, <laughs> they had no right getting a bid. Yeah, that was absurd collusion. Yeah, uh, no, I'm with I'm with you. I'm Absolutely. with you. Yeah. The AAC but just being was in just a like a, now. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, you're good. I, I was just no. gonna say the, the AAC was just like a. I don't even know. Kind of like a. There's no real rivalries geographically. No. It doesn't make any sense. It feels like just a bunch of teams was, in purgatory, like waiting to like hop all up. It it's like a stepping stone conference. We're a little bit past Thanksgiving, it but it's basically just like whatever you got left for Thanksgiving leftovers on like Sunday. Yeah, that's basically exactly. the AAC. Yeah, and then UConn got stuck in there because yeah. it pissed off too many people. Yeah. in the ACC. Oh, listen, if you have two hours to go into that, <laughs> oh god, yeah, I don't, I don't, we don't need to get into that. <laughs> trust yeah. trust uh, me they they deserve to be in there more than louisville because that program uh. well that's yeah again we're, we don't need to open up pandora's box there um i guess is there any final thoughts that you have about the matchup because i think this is going to be a really fun one unfortunately i wish sonogo and lofton were both playing that would be really good and we could you know really see a top 25 caliber matchup but i still think it's gonna be a very great game what do you kind of find i want to kind of want to end with yeah, if, you know what? If you want to look on on the brighter side of having both of, you know, both teams having a star player out, it's that it's really a no lose situation for for both teams because it, yeah, if you win the game, you get a you get a marquee win, and if you lose, then you get to say the to the committee, well, we didn't have Lofton or we didn't have Sonogo, and it's still a loss to a good team. So, you know, just just looking forward to a really good basketball game. And this is this is a big stretch for for UConn. Two games this week: West Virginia and and Bana going right into uh, into Big East play. If they could split those mm-hmm. two games, then then I'll be thrilled. You know, considering Sonogo and Martin are out. Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be good for them. And we're hoping to split between you guys. And we're playing Virginia Tech next or the following Friday, yeah, yeah. next Friday down in Charlotte. So those are our two big marquee non-tournament matchups. Yep. Well, thank you so much. Once again, Russell Steinberg, he is a writer and contributor for Boardroom.tv. Go ahead and follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow for all you college basketball Twitter fans, A10 Twitter fans. Thank you again so much for joining us, Russ. Thank you guys for having me. And thank you all again so much for joining us here on SB Unfurled. And friends, be sure to follow us on Twitter at X at SB Unfurled. And also subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you listen to us. We'll be back to preview Virginia Tech down in Charlotte next week. Thank you all again so much for listening. Brilliant, wonderful love.